Welcome to the NBA Coast to Coast podcast brought to you by thelines.com. Coming to you from the West Coast, Josh Lander, joined by Nate Weitzer. He's on the East Coast. We've got Wednesday, a full slate of games for the first time since Saturday of last week uh, here in the NBA with the IST on a quick break until we get to the semis on Thursday. We are going to be running through best bets in this one with you. Also have a play a props video up for you guys. So make sure to like and subscribe to that page. I imagine we'll be bringing you a player prop in here as well, uh, but definitely check that other one out each and every weekday. Also want you to head to the lines.com. Check out the written content we have up on the site right now and use that odds finder tool to make sure you're getting the best juice available to you from all of these books, giving us bets this season. Nate, let's go ahead and jump right into your first best bet. Now that we have plenty to choose from for the first time in a little while. Yeah, I want to back the Thunder. I, they are at Houston, a, a Houston team that I believe has won eight straight in a row at home and lost eight straight in a row on the road. Those type of crazy splits cannot maintain forever. Um, and I think this is a situation to try to get ahead of it uh, and, and take a Thunder team that I that I really trust because I honestly think SGA is in the top three for MVP right now. Chet is the leader for, for Rookie of the Year. Both are making a tremendous impact on both ends. This Thunder defense is is so good. So, I mean, you look at what Houston does so well at home, limits threes, limits point, paint points, points off turnovers. That's exactly what OKC does on the road. I mean, they're both top defensive teams. OKC is actually allowing fewer paint points during this nice 10-game stretch where they've won eight where they're number one in net by a, a wide margin, plus 15 um, <clears throat> in number one in defensive rating. Now, uh, you know, and, and interestingly, Josh Giddy has been phased out a little bit. He's minus 23 over these last 10. So he was getting phased out before the allegations came up that have clearly been a distraction, hurting his play. Um, and I don't know, you know, if, I mean, he's a good player, but I don't know if they're, if, if the Thunder are worse off with him not playing as much. His, he's been really phased down in their last two wins here. And Isaiah Joe just fits in and gives them better spacing and shooting. Let's say SGA initiate the offense more, even let's Chet initiate offense. Uh, and they're just, they're, they're looking very good, able to withstand a near collapse in Dallas and pull it out with Chet just dominating the last couple minutes. So, I mean, yeah, what I said Houston does really well is is pack it in defense, but also guard the three-point line. Where they are vulnerable at home is they give up the eighth most free throws and, and some good second-chance points here. And OKC, not depending on the three at all, they have a much higher percentage of mid-range shots, free throws, et cetera, because, of course, SGA, that's where he operates. Dylan Brooks, in two of his last three against Dylan Brooks, he has 19 free throws and 12 free throws, so... You know, when Brooks gets into foul trouble, which he does often if he's playing one of these true stars, uh, you know, that that Houston defense can can then be regressed to where it was the last two times these teams met where OKC hung about 150 on them and just demolished them. I don't know how. Yeah. I mean, the Chet Shangoon matchup is going to go. This is our first look at that. I, I think Chet might do a pretty good job of denying Shangoon down low where he has been eating. And if, if this gets into a close game with this close spread here, minus two. OKC on the season is the number two net team in the clutch, even better on the road, plus 38 on the road. Houston, they barely played in the clutch at home, uh, but overall they're negative 19 in the clutch on the season and 25th in defensive rating. So I'll, I'll take the, uh, the, the more experienced team despite the home road splits. Yeah, uh, you were talking a little bit about Dylan Brooks under in that game. And I mean, I have a pretty strong feeling 
I have a strong confidence level in the game theory that I scripted for this one. And it, it involves a lot of Dylan Brooks fouling. It involves SGA at the foul line a lot. It allows it, it, it sort of seems like it's going to be a lot choppier. I think that's very fair to say. You've got OKC on the road. You've got Houston at home. Best defensive team in the league uh, at home versus on the road where they give up like 20 more points on the road than they do when they've played at home. I mean, which makes sense. They're eight and one at home. They're one and eight on the road or oh and eight rather on the road. So they're, they're abysmal on the road and like good at keeping things in their the way that they want to run it at home. All of that said, I like, yeah, if, if SGA is going to live at the line and you don't have somebody who can really, I don't want to say just keep Chet off the boards, but definitely keep him from doing what he wants to do in a lot of different spots. I mean, it's crazy how much he looks like KD when he's, when he's in the mid range with the skills that he has and the height the height and the lankiness. So um, yeah, I think there's advantages all over the floor for SG for, for SGA, especially and the rest of the team in this one. I love a Dylan Brooks under 11 and a half, where I think you can still get it, uh, by the way. I, I think that might have been bet down to 10 and a half in most places, so you're probably not getting much juice. But I, I do like Dylan Brooks under. I expect at least four personal fouls from Dylan Brooks, which is, by the way, what he's averaging on the season. So I spent a lot of time on this one, too. Agree with your, your pick to, to take the, the Thunder on the road. I'm going to go with uh, a, a team total for my first pick and take Dallas to go over 120.5 points against Utah. And I kind of like the other bet better, but I'll, I'll get into it second. Uh, I still like this one very much. Like I said, full unit on it. And it's really just, you know, as soon as I saw this, I go, okay, Dallas is healthy at home. Utah is not on the road. <laughs> That's why it's gotten bet all the way up to now 11 points for Dallas uh, as the favorite. But the, the points should be there for them, even if it's a, a somewhat of a blowout. Uh, a couple of things. U- Utah defense on the road. We've been you know, picking on them as soon as they get on the road the whole season and dating all the way back to last season. They are allowing four more points per game, 120 and a half on the road right now, uh, 121 defensive rating, playing at about 100 pace. So pretty much the same stuff as what Dallas, basically what they allow on the road is what Dallas scores at home. Uh, 120 points per game for Dallas at home. Um, and they're up, up to about seven and two when they play in their building. Uh, the offensive rating for them is also much better at home because they're playing a little bit slower, uh, but they're getting so many open shots, man. The threes, obviously a huge part. We always talk about that with Dallas. Much better at home. Utah hemorrhages points uh, from the three-point line. Uh, maybe they'll be better now that Jordan Clarkson isn't going to be in this game. Larry Markkinen certainly doesn't help them being out. I mean, I know he's not known as a defender, but he's certainly at least length down low that they otherwise don't have without him other than Walker Kessler at this point and nobody else that you really trust putting on the floor. So I expect plenty of of easy buckets around the rim once Luka gets into the lane. He's obviously uh, had his way, not obviously, but it should be obvious. He's had his way against this team without a true stopper. Um, they had uh, Jared Vanderbilt at one point a while ago, and it's been a while. So now now we're looking at a lot of open buckets for, for Luka, Kyrie coming off of him. And Kyrie's uh, done a, a lot better against teams with weak backcourts, as you'll notice his points uh, definitely fluctuate a bit this season. He's not the same dude when it comes to getting all the way to the rim, a lot fewer shots around the paint, a lot fewer free throw attempts for Kyrie. But that's why this type of game is opportune for him because he can just be a little bit more of a spot up shooter and say what you want about Kyrie. He's always been one of the filthiest dudes when he has any time to shoot from deep. So uh, I, I think this is a really, I mean, I know this is a really bad matchup for Utah. Uh, and even like I said, the the blowout possibilities be damned. I still think the bench for Dallas can score on this Utah bench. So. 
Yeah, I believe Kyrie's questionable tonight, so I would like this a lot more if if he's ruled in. Um, if the Mavs don't don't hold him out, because they have been playing slower at home, it still resulted in some high scoring games. But ninety six point eight pace, their last four home games, lost three of those. If they get Kyrie back in there, maybe they do ramp it up more and and, and try to you know get things right. And and, and with their three point you know positive regression coming, I, I think they could still get there without Kyrie. Could still get there in a blowout. Right. Because if it rains, it pours. You know, we see this at home, and, and a Jazz team without their two top scorers might just fade away into the night. That being said, I do like Keontae George to to pick it up with those two guys out, and, and we'll look at him in the player props. Um, yeah, moving on to a little more player prop-focused bets for us here, and we're both liking the Nets at the Hawks. How can you not after they combined for nearly 300 in an overtime game the last time they got together? Um, and I'm not trying to chase these these huge outputs as much. I'm going to go more conservative with the same game parlay. Trey Young, 25 points, eight assists. Mikel Bridges, just 20 points, gets you to even money. You can get more more bullish if you want. I would be a little wary of Mikel scoring 25 now that Cam Thomas is back, but he did have 42 on a 36% usage with Cam playing 38 minutes and playing the elite Orlando defense in his last game. He did have 45 in his last trip to Atlanta, as I mentioned, that game was crazy. He dropped 42 in a normal situation against Atlanta last March and now averages 31 and a half with at least 23 points in five straight against this team. That includes two with Phoenix when he was at a much lower usage. Uh, his usage is still pretty solid on the road, 27%, getting 23 a game. And Kelsey, yeah, because those two big games in a row, one against Orlando, like I, I think he's really starting to to pick it up as the number one option, you know, which he did down the stretch last year. And we saw him kind of open this season quietly, not necessarily sure if he was ready to be that kind of offensive force. And and now he is, he is showing that he is, Um, you know, and and meanwhile, I mean, DeJounte Murray is 25% or lower usage in 10 of his last 11 with Trey Young out there. Quinn Snyder is clearly trying to build his offense around Trey Young. And and of course you are, um, you know, not necessarily, trying to, you know, figure th- how to out how to combo those guys. DeJounte is in a complimentary role, and especially at home where Trey has eight plus assists in 13 straight games, averaging 12 assists per game. And his career against Brooklyn, 32 points, 11 assists on high usage, 37%. This is a different Brooklyn team, but if you look at their most recent matchup, again, 43 points, uh, 10 assists. He took 31 shots in that game, so he is willing to get into the lane, um, use that floater. And and I think that's the most vulnerable part of this Nets defense is kind of their slower guards, including Mr. Dinwiddie, who uh, you like to get his points, but I don't think he can keep Trey in front of him. No, and I don't think Trey can do much uh, on Dinwiddie, which is why he he also doesn't really guard him too much, to be honest, in those matchups. Uh, he's actually more, you know, Trey's guarding the dude in the corner. He's, he's guarding Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, right, he's guarding whatever the corner shooter is. He's certainly not on a Cam Thomas or a ball handler like Dinwiddie. And let me just transition into that uh, for the final best bet because it is Dinwid- Dinwiddie. What a fun name, dude! I love Spencer Dinwiddie's name. Uh, over twenty-four and a half points and assists combined. And I love when I can find these moments in time to like pick point, uh, you know, p- pinpoint and pick on certain props because guys are starting to just show a, a bit different. I, I guess the output, the way that he's being used, everything has just slightly changed in the last six. And it started with this Hawks game that they played six games ago for the Nets. So 
Uh, he's gone over this in five of his last six. That's the 24 and a half points and assists. He's averaging 20 a game, 8.2 assists in 37 minutes per game. All really nice. Um, some decent competition in there defensively. It's averaged out to, you know, playing about average defenses overall. So it's not like there's been some easy um, schedule for him over the last six games. Just he's played 37 minutes per game in those last six. Slightly skewed by the couple 40-minute bangers that he had because they went to overtime twice. Still, like, he's got the most minutes on the team in those six games. And everything else has stayed crazy high for him in those six games as well. He's clearly become the playmaker on this team. He's now up to 15 potential assists per game over his last six, as opposed to the 10 that he was averaging in the prior 13 games. Uh, And really, a part of that is Cam Thomas just had the ball in his hands and was told to go. Then Cam Thomas missed time. They started to do a lot better. Their offensive rating skyrocketed when, when Cam Thomas went out for a couple games because they had a true point guard, because McHale wasn't forced to do everything himself and could be a true shooting guard slash small forward, whatever you want to call him. Um, and everybody else could go into their original spots where they should be, mm-hmm. not trying to force it playing one-on-one ball because Spencer Dinwiddie is actually playing point guard with those potential assists, with the usage rate going up from 18 to 22%. And that tells me he's had the ball in his hands way more, but he's still a point guard first because the usage rate did go up, but it's not like he's shooting that much more than he was compared to when he didn't have, he wasn't the focal point of the le- as, or the leader, if you will, of this offense. Um, he did have, by the way, 26 and 12 against the Hawks to kick off this streak of going over five of his last six as well. Um, he's also just now, I think Jacques Vaughn has to know, like he's the best, He's the dude that makes the, the, the offense go. His on-off numbers are crazy, like better than anybody else on his team. In the last six, 128 offensive rating when he's on the floor. In the, on the season, he still has the best on-off numbers. 121 offensive rating when Dinwiddie's on the floor. I'm saying this a little bit out of surprise and amazement because I've always been a little bit of a detractor from Dinwiddie, who I think hunts his shot a little bit too often at times, rather than being the guy who sets everything up. And now I've seen a big change from that uh, for him. So the, everything like in this matchup is just ripe for once again for him to do well. I don't know why he wouldn't get the same minutes and usage that he's had last time when the Hawks give up the second most assists per game. They are decent at limiting points per game uh, to the to the opposing point guard. But I also have looked at their their last seven, and they played a few more scoring point guards, and that jumped back, way back up into the bottom fifteen in terms of allowing points per game to point guards. So it's just a little bit of a, uh, a matchup for them, and the, the seventeen potential assists as well that Dinwiddie saw in his first matchup with them, pretty consistent. He saw a ton of those last year against them when he wasn't even clearly as high uh, in terms of importance to this offense. Yeah, and I guess I'm not afraid of the points because I think Trey Young will have to guard him for a lot of this game. I mean, you can't put Trey on Cam Johnson and expect Cam not to to pump and drive and use like his six ten frame and just and just get in there. Like you can't you can't hide him really on anyone on these Nets team, and you need Dejounte on Bridges or on Cam Thomas. Um, you know, Trey's got to guard someone, and, and obviously Spencer can get his points here. I think the total is only at two forty for this game. And if what you're saying about the Nets offense starting to hum, getting 129 against Orlando, I, I think an over feels pretty good. I, we're, th- we're maybe a little scared off of it because the Indiana Pacers actually played defense in their last game. And we're like, whoa, maybe these games, um, these teams don't always go 240 plus. But that was an IST game, of course. This is Atlanta at home. Yeah. It would be surprising if if both teams are not in the 120s. Yeah. Good, good, on, good on Indiana for, for going, okay, we can't give up 1.65 points per possession or whatever they were doing prior to that game against Boston. 
now, you know, they, they actually had a really solid points per possession against Boston that um, I'm, I'm stealing that entirely from Zach Lowe, but I thought it was an awesome, perfect stat. <laughs> He's way smarter, so I'm going to use it. Nate, let's go ahead and run into one of our favorite boys here, the uh, friend of the show, DG, the PG. Yeah, but he is a point guard first and foremost. Last time we took him, uh, I said maybe over points, maybe over assists. He got the assists, not the points, and I will go under points here. 20 and a half against Orlando. Just a tough defensive matchup here for both teams uh, with a 223 total. I mean, despite Orlando's success recently on offense, this is a clear bounce back spot for them defensively. After winning 11 straight, they had a 129 defensive rating at, at Brooklyn. Um, you know, not the norm. Their rare spike games this season, they've immediately bounced back with just a fantastic defensive effort. Um, defense is all about effort, as they say. And uh, these guys, they have... They have depth on the on the wing and that guard to throw at these guys, and they bounce back. So they gave up 128 in terms of points per 100 against Denver, then 97 the next game against Boston, uh, they and 131 at Brooklyn again, which apparently is just a really tough matchup for them. And then on a back to back, a 99 rating against Chicago. Granted, Chicago's offense is is dreadful, but Jason Tatum is the only dude in those games to top 20 points. And, you know, it wasn't even really close for a lot of other guys. So just nobody really getting anything easy against Orlando and everyone they can throw at them. And on the, in this matchup, I am looking at Donovan Mitchell being the guy who can top 20 points. You, you kind of need to be a transcendent talent. Of course, his prop is 27 and a half. I would not go under just because he can spike so high. And his last two against Orlando, 38 points on 35% usage, 60-60 splits. Just incredible against a team that's that's been good at defense for for multiple seasons here. In those two, for DG, seventeen points on twenty four percent usage, despite playing most of the game. You know, very poor shooting splits, thirty nine, thirty percent, a mere mortal, if you will, against good guard defense. Um, and in his five home games with Donovan Mitchell, seventeen and a half points per game this season, twenty seven percent usage, just more tasked with setting up the offense, keeping everyone on schedule, and not tasked with trying to break down a set defense as much as, as Donnie is. Yeah, I like it. Um, I, I like the attack of Orlando be, being a fast paced offensive team at home now and a, the regular Orlando magic that we know and love from last year who really need to muck it up to hang with teams that are as good as, as the Cavs. They're not gonna have a choice in this one. As you said, the Cavs are turning back into Cavs ball. Um, it's been a lot of not Cavs ball, not a lot of guys in, not a lot of fo- uh, of six of, of really qu- as quality defense around the rim that really just broke uh, everything else. They don't have the same wing defense that they had last year in the Cavs, um, and now they do, and and they're able to play a little bit more Cavs ball, like I said, which does not afford a ton more points. And and the Magic will definitely play that bruiser ball with you, unless you're just an awful team like the Wizards, and then they'll just blow you out and score 140 at home. And that's not the case here in this one. So I'm going with a scary under. Real scary under. And Nate doesn't like it, full transparency, um, but I'm going to go with it still because you got to believe in yourself. That's the lesson for the day. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, under 11.5 rebounds and assists because I believe in myself. Uh, under in that one is scary. Anytime I say under SGA, who is a top three MVP candidate, as Nate astutely pointed out, yeah, it's going to be scary. Um, but this is what I do. I love finding the unders for like a Joker Embiid SGA type. So Houston limits opponents to the fewest assists per game they also limit point guards to the fewest assists per game this is also why i'm terrified of the points for for sga i would never take the under in this one for points 
29 and a half, even though they're playing the best defensive team at home in the Rockets who have a nine, uh, they're allowing 98 points per game when they play at home. I still don't care about that when you've got a dude who gets to the foul line against a team that fouls a lot and they foul a lot because they have Dylan Brooks first and foremost, who's in the top five in most personal fouls per game, even though he's a shooting guard um, and you would expect more centers to be at the top of that list. Then they've also got Alperen Shangun as their center and defensive anchor. And I would not give him credit for being a good defensive anchor, although I will say he's a lot better than he was last year because last year he was a legit turnstile, allowing nearly 80% field goal percentage at uh, inside of five feet was Shangun last season. So he's improved for sure, but it's still like you mentioned it in the best bets video when we when you took OKC, like where is the Rockets most, where are the Rockets most vulnerable? Right inside that foul line area, right where Shai is trying to get every single play, um, which is how we saw him get 40 against the, the dubs in the same style of defense. A little bit of a drop coverage, not as much down low uh, to be able to stop you. And once you get to the free throw line, he can score over even guys like Dylan Brooks, who we both don't expect to be in the game very long. So a little bonus pick. If you want under 11 and a half points for, for Dylan Brooks, I would say you, you're likely to get that based on the fact that he's going to be exhausted running around. This uh, uh, OKC's defense is incredible. And he might not even be playing that much if he's got four fouls by like the third quarter, which would not be out of uh, the realm of possibility because they allow so many uh, free throws per game. And because um, Brooks fouls so much, et cetera, like not because of that, but I've looked at that as well when he played Memphis and when shy played Memphis last year, not a one-to-one don't get me wrong. Like Memphis's defense last year was as incredible when they had Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson in there still better than, than Chet and Jalen Williams and any other front court that you might throw at the, the Rockets tonight. But that all that's uh, at the, the um, yeah, you get what I'm saying. But either way, the point is, is like Brooks against him has limited him to two assists over his last two games. And as you mentioned in the video, 31 free throw attempts uh, in two of his last three. Like he's averaging 11 and a half free throw attempts against Brooks when he plays against him. And the Grizzlies were much better at not fouling than the Rockets are. So the the under last thing here has gone on, oh, has, has hit in seven of his last 10 games. And I know that the fear might be, Josh Giddy is heavily distracted by being in the court uh, system right now. So we'll see how that goes. And, and that's a big part of why Shy is, you know, it's, it's a scary bet when you think of the fact that he might have a little bit more to eat without Josh Giddey in there um, and feeding guys like Isaiah Joe. I totally see that. I just don't think that's the game plan tonight against a team that doesn't let you do that. So. But if you want to take, it sounds like everything you're doing is shorting assists. So why are you throwing the rebounds in there? In a game that could low. be, you know, 98-101. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, getting under assists would definitely help you get there. I'm not saying Shy is going to get eight rebounds in this game, but yeah. it's a possibility. He's a good rebounding guard. If there's that many boards and it's that close as the spread suggests, like, that's just what I worry about is just that, yeah. you know, making winning plays on both ends here um, and, and, you know, potentially getting over in that regard. And then, yeah, what you mentioned, with which is Giddy playing like 17 minutes in his last game continually phased out, very distracted by the fact that he's in the court system. And that, that forces SGA to be more of a, of a true point guard. So that's just my concern. Um, but, you know, I, I think with the with these two good defenses out there, it is fair enough to say assists will be hard to come by. Yeah. Um, terrible defenses in Dallas, though. Uh, at Utah at Dallas, high total. Expected potential blowout here with no marketing, no Jordan Clarkson. But I'll still take the rookie, Keontae George, to get some points here. Hopefully they keep giving him run, even if it's getting a little out of hand. 25.5 PRA for him as he comes off a 21-6-6 game against Portland. That was just his third of the season without Jordan Clarkson. His first two, 
pretty brutal matchups against New Orleans and Minnesota. I, tough, tougher defenses I cannot find for a young guard. Uh, but he's still averaging over this number in three without Clarkson, 16, five and five. Um, and now playing without marketing, you see his points go up six points per game in five without marketing up to 27% usage. He goes up seven points per game without Clarkson up to 30% usage and both guys out tonight. He's almost, you know, the number one option now for Utah against a, a Alice backcourt that is, that is just dreadful. Allow the fifth most fast break points, fifth most paint points, fourth most assists, second most rebounds and specifically fourth most assists and seventh most rebounds to point guards, allowing 11 assists just to point guards in their last seven games and have struggled in general at home, you know, where they were good. Since Luka just, like, smacked the Clippers again, they've lost three or four at home with a 123 defensive rating. So maybe Utah finds a way to stay in this game despite being shorthanded. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they do. I, I think Keontae's going to just eat. <laughs> I, I first have to tell everybody that it's a brilliant nickname for Mark and, and Jordan Clarkson if they ever come up with it for Mark and Clark or Clark and Mark. I don't know. But that is a great nickname for those two. And they are the entire offense for this team right now. I, I wish that Jordan Clarkson wasn't there because of how much I love Keontae George and because I have an 85 to 1 rookie of the year ticket that's not going to hit because Chet Holmgren exists and so does Victor Wimbanyama. It was fun while it lasted, but either way, like Keontae should be eating a lot more and uh, too often the offense turns into Jordan Clarkson, go and get yours. It just feels like a gap year for, for them. And Keontae is going to, you know, continue to eat more when, whenever Clark's out, whenever Mark is out, obviously as well, although he doesn't eat into Keontae nearly as much as Jordan Clarkson, who, yeah, backing, backing Keontae George and having Jordan Clarkson out there would be so frustrating. And I would probably stay away from it but as soon as Clark is out yeah I'm, I'm, I'm on Keontae George with you as you know how much I love the Rooks so uh, let me close it out here with another maybe controversial pick but it's an over and it's Clay Thompson and we're getting it tonight Clay so Clay is back like en enough isn't made of the fact that Clay doesn't do well in November um, this has been the case since he came back from Achilles and knees injuries this was the case before he went on on leave with knees and, and Achilles injuries like he just picks it up because he's a head case to a degree. Like that's my breakdown at this point of clay is like, he's been bad because he's a head case. Once he sees the ball go in, then he's good in the last six games. The ball finally started going in six last six. He's up to 31 and a half minutes and a 24% usage rate. That's a slight uptick because he's finally making his shot. So he's not a liability and can play a few more minutes in the third quarter. And the first quarter, especially where he was coming out early because they were losing. Uh, they were giving up leads early and in the second half as well going into the fourth. So now he's got able to play a couple more minutes in each quarter. His usage has also gone up. So a few more shots overall because of the minutes and the usage he's averaged 20 a game. He's only at 41% field goal percentage in the last six and on the entire season from the whole floor. But in the last six, he's 41% from deep as well, which is crucial because he was at 33% from deep. The other thing that I, I do like, you never want to bank on free throw attempts from clay Thompson, the dude who once scored what like 60 points on like four dribbles but he has gone up to four free throw attempts per game in the last six as opposed to one just one so he wasn't even sniffing the paint really before and at least now we can bank on three points per game from the free throw line as a career 90 percent free throw shooter like he's not going to miss more than one per game at that at that time so with four threes per game he's up to up to 3.8 in the last six Plus those three free throws getting really, really close to 17 points. Plus we're talking about a game tonight where he's gone over against Portland. He's, he's really enjoyed playing against them. Uh, they have a very weak backcourt, even though they're good. I will 
be very clear. Like they're good at defending the three. And I know that they limit threes to a, a good degree in part because they just hemorrhage points in the paint because Dominaton is down there as your best uh, center defender. So, you know, the, 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 uh, nuggets, the, the, the dubs are not necessarily um, they've actually been better this year at getting into the paint and even second chance points. Um, so I believe they'll do that, but they're still going to be pulling from deep. Clay's going to be pulling a lot in a, in a game where he's, like I said, played really well against his team, gone over in his last five against them. He's averaging 25 versus them in just 30 minutes since uh, in the last five he played since he did come back from those injuries a few years ago. Uh, just feels like another great matchup at home for Clay, baby. Maybe the matchup is too good for the Warriors, though. Aiton is doubtful. Jeremy Grant is out with a concussion. Um, also so the Warriors are minus 12 probably going to roll this team uh but you know they they are going to try to feed clay in terms of building his confidence so i do like that angle yeah. uh they might run him off the three-point line but no rim protection for portland beyond that so maybe he does get higher usage i think the way i would play this is maybe go under for steph points because i think this is a night where mm. steph goes 26 assists plays like 30-ish minutes and then just gets Good out point. of there as the warriors roll at home uh, but they they need to get Clay on track, so maybe maybe that's how he gets to 17 here. We get we get one of those spike Clay games to to start the avalanche for the Warriors if they if they pull yeah. away. Yeah, I mean things aren't peachy in in San Francisco uh, where they play now. So you know the, I, I do think that there is something to taking advantage of games like this one. Um, it's, it seems a little sad, but I think they gotta they gotta take those those dubs when they can get them and really the, the bigger, the dub, the bigger, the blowout, the better it is for morale, because it's not high right now. I will say that in the Bay area, Clay Thompson being a big part of that and his resurgence in the last six games has been a, a big reason for people maybe still believing in this team uh, and its future this season. But that is all the time we have for you and play a props, continue to follow along like, and subscribe to that page. Also check out the best bets that we have up for you until we see you next. Happy betting. Stop.